We are going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we're studying the book of Jeremiah. So why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 50. We're getting close to the end of Jeremiah. It's a, a long book. I've mentioned it before, but uh, it's, it depends on how you count it. It's the second longest book in the Bible. Psalms is first, but there's a debate whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah. And the reason why is because Isaiah has more you know, chapters and verses but Jeremiah has more words. Uh, so it's, a, uh, it's an interesting debate, but a long book and it's a heavy book. But in the midst of the heaviness of this book, I find all kinds of little gems of uh, comfort and peace. Uh, Jeremiah's time, they were troubling times and we, we see how they really do minister to us in the days that we're living. So uh, here we go, Jeremiah chapter 50. Um, have you ever noticed that um, there's a tendency for us to sort of um, look at animals for human characteristics. Uh, did you see last week they were showing that dolphins, uh, more than they knew before, have the same kind of personality as people. And we already kind of knew that. Didn't they see Flipper uh, when they were kids? I mean, come on. Uh, but they're just finding now that the way they think is more human-like than just about any other animal. Um, but I remember, you know, over the years, there's these personality tests you can take. You can, you know, take the anagram and find out what number you are. Uh, you can, you can, before that, you know, there was the uh, spirit-filled temperament, the phlegmatic, you know, melancholy, uh, sanguine, caloric, uh, different divisions of who are you. I always felt bad for people. You're, you know, melancholy. Uh, I'm caloric. I'm a, I'm a leader and you're depressed all the time. Like it always labels people and it's kind of brutal. Um, but so they tried to soften that by going with colors. You're a red, <laughs> watch out. Um, but you're a blue or you're a green, you make me sick or whatever the, the color thing didn't work either. Uh, so then they went to animals. Do you remember the animals? You're a lion or you're a horse or you're a frog. Like, like that again, doesn't work, but it is funny our link to animals um, because even uh, if you go you know, and watch the NFL, which I don't anymore, because uh, I'm busy on Sundays and uh, stuff like that. Plus, it's too political. But, you know, here's NFL players banging heads, throwing tackles, snapping bones. But they liken themselves to animals. Have you noticed that? Let me show you. You've got the, you know, Detroit Lions and the Panthers and the Jaguars and the, and the you know, Broncos. Maybe one of your teams are there. Maybe not. But we like to think of ourselves as Lions or Broncos or, you know. But I'm going to make a prediction about the NFL. You guys ready? Mark this down. This is a prophecy from Pastor Brett. <laughs> you will never see this animal on an NFL helmet. The NFL lambs. <laughs> Not going to happen. That's my prophecy. Uh, I doubt that you'll ever see the, the, the team, the sheep. I think it'd be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, give them pink uniforms and little sheep on their, but if they were like really tough as nails, that'd be really great. But uh, you, you're not gonna see this, why? Well, because uh, sheep are not the, the animal we really want to associate with, but isn't it funny that of all the animals that God had made, the one that he compares you and me to all the time, cover to cover in the Bible, is we're, we're compared to sheep. You know, we'd like to think of ourselves as panthers or jaguars or lions or, or broncos, but nope, the Lord says, guess what, gang, you're, you're sheep. <laughs> Pass the cud, you know, here it comes. Um, and there's good and bad with the whole sheep thing. Uh, and we're gonna look at this idea of the sheep today as we look at Jeremiah chapter 50, uh, verse six. Let's take a read of the single verse. We'll look at these chapters on Wednesday night in their entirety, every verse, but 
just wanna show you this little thing that Jeremiah says toward the end of his book here about the people of the Lord. Jeremiah 50, verse six, it says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. One more time, let's read it, think through this. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. We'll we'll kind of work through this verse in detail here in a minute, but let's consider this idea of you and me in the Bible being called and the people of God being called sheep. Um, Where does the Bible say this about us? Well, you know, maybe some of the more famous passages are like this one in Isaiah 53, six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, You know, uh, again, it sort of matches our verse in Jeremiah 50, verse six, where it says, you know, the the people have gone astray. They've been lost sheep, the the Bible says. And here it says in Jeremiah that it's the, the false shepherds that led them astray. But all we like sheep, not not most of us, all of us have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now this starts to get interesting when we compare what the Lord has done and who he laid our iniquity on. Do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus there as he was coming to the Jordan River? John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't it interesting that God became, and, and you know, forgive me, but a sheep. Why is he called the lamb of God? Well, all through the Bible, it would be a, a sheep or a lamb, which is kind of speaking of us, um, because we're all sheep. So God became a lamb so that he could be sacrificed for us. We're the lambs, we're the sheep that should have been sacrificed because we've just been evil and wicked. Um, and because of that evil wickedness, Man, the Lord Jesus came, the the lamb who would, we'll talk about this in a second, is the shepherd also. What an interesting thing. And there's some interesting tie-ins in the Bible. You see, the Bible says so much about sheep, lambs, and shepherds, and us, that it's actually dizzying how much the Bible talks about this. But I wanna kind of dive into this a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand our relationship. Why does God call us sheep? And who is your shepherd? It's a good question to ask. Because I believe whether you know it or not, you've got a shepherd. The question is, which one are you following? And we'll take a look at that. Psalm 95 says more about this idea of the sheep. In Psalm 95, verses six and seven, it says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today, if you will hear his voice. Interesting, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So the idea is we need to worship and bow down because of who he is. We are the people of his, it's it's his pasture, it's his, his hand that guides us. He's the ultimate shepherd. But then the question kind of is posed, you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, people have been corrupted with sin and we're dumb sheep. I I was a shepherd uh, as a little boy. I had a couple sheep in our little farm. We had five or six sheep over the years. And, um, and we had to take care of them. And one thing that I did confirm, sheep are dumb. Oh, they're cuddly and cute, but they're also really dumb. 
Uh, and, um, and, and because of, you know, the stupidity of sheep and how sheep just go with the crowd, you know, um, that's, that's an idiom of today. If, if people say, oh, they're just a bunch of sheep. If they say that, that means you're just going with the crowd, going with the flow. Uh, did you see that video I showed on one of our prophecy updates a few months ago where um, they were in the doctor's office and there was a bunch of actors that were in there. And as soon as there was a beep, the actors would stand up in the waiting room and then they would sit back down. And there would be one lady walked in and, and she saw everybody stand up, so she started standing up. Well, then they cleared all the actors out as if they were going to see the doctor and new people came in, but the beep happened and then the lady that first walked in, she kept standing up. And so the other people that walked in also started standing up at the beep. Uh, it was really, it's really funny. Uh, you know, it just shows human nature. We're all we like sheep, we just follow each other. Did you know that there's documented evidence of sheep out in a little field, chewing their cud, having a nice day when a sound happens. And kind of like a cat, sheep just bolt. But they bolt whatever direction everybody else is bolting. And um, there's, there's documented accounts where sheep have just heard something and the whole flock has just run right off a cliff in total terror. That's human nature. That's who we are. That's why God says, guess what? I made a little critter that I'm gonna compare you to for all of eternity. <laughs> That's what the Lord says. Uh, but, but good news, he's our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand today, if you will hear his voice. If you don't hear his voice, well, that might be a different deal. It's not just there, but also in our, in our text today, uh, and, and look later there in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 34, uh, you might say, well, this is bad news because we're rebellious, sinful sheep. Well, Jeremiah lets up the pressure a little bit in verse 34 where he says, their redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. You see in verse six, he says the Jews, they had forgotten their resting place because they were doing other things, following other shepherds, worshiping pagan deities and pagan gods. And so they had no resting place. They had forgotten what it was like to feel rest. But then the Lord says, I will plead your cause. You know, he'd make a case for you. And, and then that he may give rest to the land. That, that's, that's something the Lord says, I'll give back to you that rest. And so this idea of the Lord interceding or intervening on behalf of the people so that they might have rest. This, this is the, the, Jeremiah, you know, 50 verse six is the bad news. Jeremiah 50 verse 34 is sort of the good news that the Lord is gonna intervene for them. I love that. Um, and so Isaiah chapter 40, another uh, you know, beautiful scripture about you know, the shepherd and us being sheep. Isaiah 40, 11, he shall flee, feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Man, he carries us close to his heart, his people. He'll feed his flock uh, like a shepherd. I love that. So what happens here as we look at this idea of sheep and the shepherd and the good shepherd versus maybe a false shepherd, what are some of the things we need to know as we dive into this topic? Well, we learn a lot uh, of the, just the basic truth in the New Testament. I wanna show you something here today. You know, and we do this a lot here at Aethinger because we go verse by verse through the Bible. We like to bounce back and forth and take a look. But the New Testament gives us revelation while the Old Testament gives us illustration. 
Um, it's like the New Testament is a bunch of truth and doctrine, but the Old Testament shows us illustrations through the people and the stories of the ancient times. And you know, some people try to read the Bible, they don't see the two fitting together. And so they, you'll hear people say, I just don't get the Bible, it's boring or it doesn't. It's because they haven't connected the dots. The Old Testament stories illustrate New Testament truths beautifully. So I'm gonna show you as it comes to sheep and the shepherd, I'm gonna show you the New Testament that gives us revelation of who he is. And then we'll show you the Old Testament illustration of what he does as the shepherd. Okay, so let's dive into this. You can maybe jot some of these things down. First of all, the New Testament gives revelation of who he is. The, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. We're gonna take a look at this. Who is um, this good shepherd? Well, uh, jot these scriptures down. Number one, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, he says, for I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, now, follow with me here. Why is he a good shepherd? Because he gives his life for the sheep. A bad shepherd does not give his life for the sheep. In fact, Jesus warned about shepherds that were just hirelings. He called them hirelings. What's a hireling? A person who's in it for the money alone. And he won't, he's not in for laying his life down for a flock. You know, it, it'd be like, you know, uh, you being a shepherd and as soon as a, a, a lion comes by, You'd say, I'm out of here. Bon appetit, Mr. Lion. You know, have some lamb chops because who cares? I'm out of here. Pew! That's the hireling that Jesus talked about. When trouble comes, that shepherd bails. By the way, David in the Old Testament is a great example of a good shepherd because even as a young kid, he laid down his life in a sense. Why? Because he was guarding his father's flock. And we know from the biblical account, he killed both a lion and a bear. Like that's, that's no small thing with a slingshot. You know, it's not like he had a 30 six or a 308, you know, or something like that. He, he, he you know, 300 wind mag. He, he, he was there just kind of like, would you run for your life or you think, oh, this rock god will do. That'd be great. Lion and a bear. Like David was, was an amazing shepherd. He laid down his life in a sense, put himself at risk. Well, that's the shepherd that we have in Jesus. He's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Number two, he's also called in the Bible the great shepherd, not just the good shepherd. Why, question again, quiz time, why is he the good shepherd? He laid down his life for the sheep. But he's called the great shepherd because he rose from the grave. Check it out, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The author of Hebrews, who I believe perhaps is the apostle Paul, but uh, I don't know for sure, that's my opinion. But we don't know really for sure who the author is, but Hebrews nails a lot of this sheep stuff down for us and the shepherd you know, you know, idea. And the one thing he says, he's not just the good shepherd, he's called the great shepherd because he rose from the grave. The Lord brought him again from the dead. And boy, I hope you understand as a Christian, that's the whole deal right there. Remember what Paul said in the you know, first Corinthians he talked about, he said, oh man, if Jesus didn't rise up from the, the grave, we of all men would be most miserable. Why? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would, we would have no verification that Christianity has anything to do with truth. It'd be just like all the other religions, Islam and, you know, 
um, you know, Confucianism, Confucianism or, or Taoism or, or uh, you know, um, you know these, these, these Buddhism, these cults and things that say, we are the true religion. But I would ask, what is it that proves your religion? We as Christians, we, we're the only ones who our founder, Jesus Christ, says, listen, you want a sign? I'll show you a sign. This is the one sign I'm gonna show you. If you destroy this body in three days, I will raise it up from the dead. Like that's, a, that's an impossible task. There's only a few people that claim that would happen. Did you know Harry Houdini made that claim? He said, when I die, I shall return. And we're still waiting. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna come to pass. Didn't happen. But Jesus made that claim. Well, how do you know, Brett? Were you there back you know, in the first century uh, seeing the, the, the resurrection of Christ? I wasn't there. But you know, if you're in a courtroom, how many eyewitnesses do you need to start believing a story? You know, if you have one good eyewitness, two's better. How about 500? You see, that's what the New Testament tells us. There were more than 500 people that saw Jesus after he rose from the, the grave. The, the, the truth is Jesus dying on the cross and then resurrecting from the grave is one of the most provable facts in all of history. And that's what really verifies your and my faith that Jesus rose from the grave. That's what makes him not just a good shepherd, he's also the great shepherd. Well, what does this resurrection have to do with me? Well, did you know because he lives, you and I get to live. We'll talk about that, of course, coming up here on Resurrection Sunday, just in a few weeks, can you believe it? Spring is on the way. Uh, it doesn't feel like that really, but it's coming, it's coming. But uh, good for us, man. He's called the, the great shepherd because he's risen from the dead. But the third thing that he's called there in the New Testament is the chief shepherd. He's not only the good shepherd, question, why is he the good shepherd? He laid down his life for the sheep. Why is he called the great shepherd? Because he rose from the dead. But he's called the chief shepherd because he's gonna return. Uh, he's coming back. He's called the sheep, chief shepherd. First Peter chapter five, verse four. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Man, that's gonna be glorious when Christ comes. The first time he came as a humble man, and a lowly sheep, if you would. Remember Philippians chapter two says he, he came and he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was in the likeness of men. But when he comes the second time, he's still gonna be a shepherd, but he's gonna be the chief shepherd. He's gonna really be like when he rides in on a white horse, you know, in Revelation chapter 19, it says he'll come and he'll say on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, that's gonna be a powerful thing to see and he's coming back and we get to receive, those that follow him, those that are his sheep and the people of his pasture, we get to get that crown of glory that fades not away. Man, so many of the other glory things that we have in this world, it fades away. So you got the blue ribbon when you're in second grade. Big deal now. We can barely walk now and you can run then. It all fades, but the crown of glory, guess what? That will never fade away. The crown of glory that comes from the chief shepherd. So we've looked here just at the New Testament that gives us revelation about the shepherd. He's the good shepherd because he gives his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd because he rose from the grave and he's called the chief shepherd because he's returning, he's coming back. So that's just kind of a basic New Testament revelation. But let's talk about the Old Testament illustration um, because that's where I think the Old Testament just comes to life. And uh, man, I could spend all day talking about Old Testament pictures of the shepherd and the sheep. Uh, but I'm gonna give you some of my favorites. And so at first you might think, I don't know if I see this, Brett, but I think you'll see it if you stick with me. The Old Testament 
you know, illustration tells us what he does. The New Testament, you know, revelation tells us who he is, the chief, good, you know, great shepherd. But the, the Old Testament tells us what he does, okay? So let's take a look at that. And let's take some of the pictures there in the Old Testament. The first one I wanna refer to is the good shepherd. Following these three things, I'm gonna show you an illustration of the good shepherd, then I'll show you an illustration of the chief shepherd and uh, of the great shepherd, those three. So first, the good shepherd is pictured in the story of Cain and Abel. Now for you Bible students, uh, one of the studies that helps you rightly divide and interpret scripture is called hermeneutics, a fancy word that just means to rightly divide the word of truth, like the Bible says we're supposed to do. And there's rules of biblical uh, interpretation. One is kind of an interesting rule that oftentimes in the Bible when something's first mentioned, it's a very important thing. Uh, you might think it's just something mentioned uh, and you're like, whatever. But in the first mention in the Old Testament of things, it's, it's usually something that points to something even more powerful. And that's what makes the Bible really fun. Who's the first shepherd talked about in the Bible? Anybody wanna take a guess? Abel, Abel, uh, yeah. Um, now, uh, uh, how long did Cain you know, endure his brother? The answer, as long as he was able. Uh, but anyway, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, so let's go there. Would you flip over to Genesis chapter four? I wanna show you this little story. This is one of those Old Testament stories that people read and go, yeah, okay, whatever. It's kind of a bummer, the first murder. That's the way they look at this. The first murder in the Bible. It's a dark story of Cain murdering his brother. And it is, but there's much more to it than meets the eye. The Bible is so great about that. The layer upon layer upon layer, that's what the Bible is. So in Genesis chapter four, it says, verse one, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. So she raised Cain. Sorry, I just had to say that, sorry. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. There he is, the first shepherd in the Bible. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. In other words, he was pouting. Verse six, and the Lord said to Cain, why are thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel, thy brother? Question, did the Lord lose Abel? What, what happened to Abel? There's only four people on the planet. Let's see, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. What happened to Abel? No, this is the classic thing where the Lord, he's, he's giving an opportunity for some confession here. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, then they hid themselves and the Lord said, where are you? The Lord didn't lose the two people on the earth there. Uh, he wanted them to say, uh, we're hiding because we've sinned. It's a confession moment. So he says, where's your brother Abel? And, and this is really telling, he, uh, you know, Cain says, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to take care of my brother? Well, by the way, the answer is yes. But uh, that's a different lesson. 
Verse 10, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Interesting story. Now you say, okay, Brett, so that's just the first murder and, and uh, what's the deal with the sacrifice and why did God accept Abel's over Cain's and what's the deal there? Well, the, the point is this, um, Abel's sacrifice was legit, Cain's was not. I'll tell you why. Uh, Cain gave a bunch of vegetables and Abel gave meat and vegetables are not of God and meat is of God. <laughs> Um, wait a minute, sorry. <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, you, that's not true. Um, I'm a false teacher in that particular point. Um, <laughs> no, but what is interesting when it comes to sacrifice unto the Lord, it was always blood sacrifice. Remember what the Bible says ultimately, and I know the world is early with Cain and Abel, but the Lord still was dealing with sin. Remember, when, when Cain brought his offering of vegetables, the Lord said, well, if it's good, I'll accept it, but if it's not, you're still, there's sin at the door, he says. The vegetables would never satisfy the, the repercussion of sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sin. So when Abel gives his blood sacrifice of a lamb and gives it to the Lord, the Lord says, that's, that's it. That's the one. Cain, well, his was the work of his own hands, the tilling of the soil, it says here. And he did it on his own. And there's people still trying to be saved, like Cain, saying, I can do it, I'm a good enough person. My good deeds hopefully will outweigh my bad and maybe I'll get to heaven that way. No, that's not an acceptable sacrifice. There's only one sacrifice that's legit and that is innocent blood being shed for the sinner. So really, this starts to picture a blood sacrifice pointing us to Jesus, who's the lamb that would be slain for the sins of the world. This is introduction of that in the Bible. But did you notice what happened? The blood was crying out from the ground. Did you hear that? That's kind of creepy, isn't it? We got kind of a thriller moment here in the Bible, blood. As the mouth of the earth swallows up the blood and then cries out. What is the blood of Abel crying out? Well, as it turns out, it's crying out condemned, sinful, murderer, evil, like, like it's a condemning blood. And, and that's what it says here. If you kind of look at it, it's kind of heavy. Uh, it's that creepy section where it says, the Lord says, the voice of thy brother's blood cries from me to the ground, and now you are cursed. What happened? The blood was cursing, if you would, from the ground. It says, now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Bummer. Now, I believe this is a great picture of the good shepherd. Why, Brett? How? I don't see it. Would you flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 with me real quick? Again, the book of Hebrews uh, talks a lot about the shepherd and the sheep and all this stuff. Hebrews chapter 12. This is where I love, if you, if you read your Bible cover to cover, you start to see these dots connected. Don't be bummed, by the way, if you don't catch all this in the first week. <clears throat> Um, this is what makes the Bible fun to study for the rest of your life. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize, wow, I don't know anything. 
And it really is exciting. Uh, you know, here I've been reading the Bible since I was a little kid and I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of all the amazing things in the Bible. But here's one of those little amazing things that starts to connect dots. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. It says, <clears throat> and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Remember we went over that a couple weeks ago? The new covenant, um, Jeremiah 31, we talked about that, very important. Um, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that thou refuse not him that speaketh. Huh? Do you understand here? This, this is amazing. It says here that there's something that speaks better than Abel. What did Abel say in his life? Does anybody have a record of what Abel said? Well, the answer is nothing. Abel said nothing. So how is Abel speaking? Well, as it says here, it says the, the Lord Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What was, what was Abel's blood speaking? Guilty, con condemnation, sinfulness, murderer. That was Abel's blood. But our good shepherd, Jesus, the Messiah, his blood was shed. And what does his blood speak of? Well, it says here, it speaks of better things. What, what does the blood of Jesus cry out to you and me? See, Cain was guilty against the shepherd, Abel, and he killed the shepherd. You and I are guilty against the shepherd, Jesus, and our sins killed our shepherd on the cross. That's what our sins did. But the blood of Abel cries out to Cain, condemnation, guilt, and sin. But the blood of Jesus cries out salvation, redemption, propitiation, justification, mercy, grace. The blood of Jesus cries out far better things than that of Abel. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Do you understand, you and I deserve to be cursed like Abel, or pardon me, like Cain. But we, because our shepherd, not like Abel, Abel wasn't perfect, our shepherd was a perfect shepherd. He's the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep so that when his blood cries out, it cries out, innocent, forgiven, cleansed, merciful. I love that about our Lord. Um, also, First Peter, uh, check this out. You could either turn there or just jot it down in your notes, but First Peter chapter two, let me read you verse 21 through 25. This is great stuff about sheep and redemption and all this. First uh, Peter 2, 21. For even here too ye, uh, were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled or hated, he reviled not again, he didn't hate back. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins on his own body, on the tree, that is the cross, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. You know, the whippings on his back, you're healed. For, verse 25, you were as sheep going astray, but now you've returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your souls. The word bishop there is the Greek word episkopos, which means overseer. 
You and I as sinners, when we turn to the good shepherd and say, we want you to lead us, be our shepherd. We wanna be the people of your pasture. Then the Lord says, I'll take you. And guess what? You're now from being those who have gone astray, you're coming back under shepherding of the bishop of your soul, the overseer of your soul. Did you know that your soul, in the New Testament, whenever you see that word soul, the, the Greek word there is psyche. It's where we get our word psych, psychology and all that stuff. It's the inner part of you that thinks and feels. And who's the shepherd of your soul? It's not Dr. Sigmund Freud, as it turns out. It's Jesus, our good shepherd, who wants to be the overseer of your soul. You know, that's why David, who had trouble in his soul all the time, he said, oh, why art thou cast down? O my soul, hope thou in God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, the the good shepherd, makes me to lie down, you know, in green pastures and, and beside still waters. He is the one who restores my soul, the psalmist said about the shepherd. Too many people have gone to too many other shepherds, false shepherds, to help their soul, their mind, their psyche, uh, and, and they still find themselves frustrated. But we have the ultimate answer. We've got the good shepherd. So we see pictured in the Old Testament, first the good shepherd in the story of, of you know, Cain and Abel, where Abel, in a sense, he was the shepherd that laid down his life. He was killed, but his blood cried out condemnation but the blood of our shepherd cries out mercy and forgiveness. The second picture I wanna show you is that of the great shepherd. The great shepherd is pictured in Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. Uh, We won't read all of that because it's a fairly lengthy section of scripture. You can read it today when you get home. It's a great story. And hopefully most of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. You know, the coat of many colors, the brothers and all this. But did you know that that story of Joseph is this profound and powerful picture of Jesus Christ? You know, it's funny that Joseph was favored among his brethren. <clears throat> was Jesus favored among his fa- by his father and among his brothers? Who were Jesus' brothers? Anybody? The Jews, <clears throat> Israel. <clears throat> and Jesus was favored above them. Remember when Jesus was baptized? <clears throat> Pardon me. Remember when Jesus baptized, the, the dove came down from heaven and Holy Spirit, and the Lord said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Jews said, we don't like him. We will not have this man rule over us. They re- despised him and rejected him. You know, Jacob sent Joseph to go seek out his brothers. Remember his brothers were in Dothan? And he said, go seek out your brothers. And so So he went and sought out his brothers, just like Jesus was sent by the Father to seek and save you and me. But when Jesus found his brothers, when Joseph found his brothers, Joseph's brothers hated him and despised and rejected him and said, let's kill him. And when Jesus sought out his brothers, they they said, crucify him. So they took Joseph and threw him in a pit and left him for dead. With Jesus, they slew him on the cross and threw him in a tomb and left him for dead. But the picture's interesting with Jacob and Joseph and the brothers, because remember Reuben and the brother said, man, maybe we shouldn't murder our brother. Let's pull him out of the pit and we'll sell him as a slave and make some cash. So before Joseph dies in the pit, they pull him out and they sell him to a bunch of Ishmaelites that are on their way to Egypt as a slave. And they take his coat and they stain it with some wild blood, goat's blood, and they, and they show it to Jacob and said, yeah, sorry, dad, Joseph got killed by a wild beast. And they were the ones who were really guilty. In the same way, Jesus was put in the tomb, left for dead, but Jesus would rise from the grave 
uh, unbeknownst to the Jews and his plan. But what's even more amazing, the story continues. Do you remember, you know, Joseph was exonerated. He was taken from Egypt as a slave and a prisoner, and eventually he becomes the second most powerful man in the world, only under Pharaoh. What an amazing story. But even in the same way, Jesus Christ, who is the servant of all and died on the cross, he will return and he will become powerful. You say second most powerful? Well, in a sense, it's, it's like, remember Jesus said, I always do the will of my father. Interesting. And so, remember the brothers, why did they come to Egypt again years and years later? Because they were starving and dying, famine. And they came to Egypt where they heard about this man who was in charge and he had all this food down there. It was Joseph, but they didn't know it. And they come and see Joseph, but they don't recognize him. Why? Well, by this time, Joseph is speaking fluent Egyptian. So he's walking like an Egyptian, talking like an Egyptian. He's probably shaved bald like, you know, Yul Brynner and wearing the, you know, the gold and stuff. So the brothers, they don't even recognize him. It's been years. And they all bow down and they say, help us. And there's a lot more to the story where he tested them and stuff. But ultimately, what did he do? He intervened. He interceded on behalf of them and saved them and gave them food and gave them a place to live and put them in a safe place. And they lived in rest and prosperity, those brothers did, for the rest of their lives. Even though they sinned against Joseph, Joseph sought him out, saved him, interceded on behalf of them. It's an amazing picture. By the way, they didn't recognize Joseph. Did the Jews recognize Jesus? The answer is no. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. Why? Because they thought he was worldly. They said, he doesn't keep the law like us Jews. He's picking corn on the Sabbath day. He's breaking the law. Now, Jesus never was breaking the law. Those were the traditions that they added to years later in the Mishnah and other places where they, they added and sort of clamped down some of the rules. But Jesus never broke the law, but they accused him of being a worldling. Egypt is a type of the world. And Joseph's brothers, they say, he's not one of us, he's an Egyptian dude. That's what they thought of Jesus. Like the correlation, I'm only giving you the, like the high points, there's a million other great things about the story of Joseph. But the point is about, you know, you know this, this picture of Jesus, the great shepherd pictured in Joseph, is we see that you know, even as Joseph was sort of resurrected and became powerful and the ruler of the land, so too Jesus raised up from the dead as the great shepherd and lives. What did Jesus come to do? He came to make intercession on our behalf. Um, there's some scriptures I want you to maybe jot down. For example, Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore he, Jesus, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Just like Joseph made intercession for his brothers and saved them, that's what Jesus, our Messiah, does. I love the picture of the Old Testament. It, it just comes to life as we see the story of Joseph. As little kids, if you were like me growing up in Sunday school, you loved the story of Joseph. Why? It was just the ultimate great story of a guy who was wronged on every level. But then he, it was made right and he became powerful. And instead of getting vengeance, he showed compassion and forgiveness and love. It's an amazing story, but guess what? It's our story, only guess who we are in the story? We're the ugly brothers. We're the sinful, wretched, miserable brothers that deserve death and destruction, but because our better than Joseph, Jesus, our good shepherd, our great shepherd, he rises up from the dead and he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me.
Oh, I love our Messiah. I love our great shepherd. But there's a third and final picture I wanna show you. And that is the chief shepherd. Pictured in Moses. What an amazing story that is. And you guys, again, I'm hoping that you kind of know that story. But if not, you can always read the whole book of Exodus. It's a great story. It'll just take you half a day. It's great. Um, But, uh, you know, think about the story. 40 years in the wilderness was, or pardon me, in the desert first. Uh, pardon me, in Egypt, then he went to the desert. So 80 years of his life, the first 40 years in Egypt. And, and Josephus, the ancient historian from the first century talks about Moses, his role there in Egypt. And he says he was raised, um, like the Bible says, uh, as the prince of Egypt under Pharaoh's daughter. But even Josephus talks about how he was a war hero by the age of 20. That, that uh, you know, Moses conquered many countries and lands, including Ethiopia and brought great wealth into Egypt. And like by the time he was 20, He was living large in the palace. He was next in line to be the next Pharaoh. But then what did Moses do? He he forsook Egypt and he traded the glory of the palace for the backside of the desert. Now, let me explain something. This is something that um, hieroglyphics and Egyptian writings and stones that they found tell us. Did you know that the Egyptians, we know what their most hated, despised, low-life job was? It was to be a shepherd. A shepherd was, in in the Egyptian mind, that was like for the lowest of the low. That's why they usually had slaves do it. Um, What are our low jobs? I mean, I think about jobs people have and I think, oh man, I don't know if I want that job. Like, Like my uncle, when he was in college, he had a job that I think of about, when I think of the worst jobs people could have. His job was in the summer during his college years, my uncle, who's a pastor now, by the way, um, he, uh, he was down in San Diego and he would, he would, you know, they'd dress him up in this like toxic suit, like an Intel type suit. And they'd lower him into these huge tanks by the, the, um, the docks because these big military ships and stuff would come in and load their sewage, raw sewage in these huge tanks. Like the tanks that are like, you know, almost as big as this room, huge. And, and um, the problem is, you know, in that 80 to 90 degree, you know, San Diego weather, those tanks would get like 130 degrees and, and it would just kind of be gross. And so they had to pressure wash inside those tanks once in a while. And that was his job. They'd put a suit on him, lower him in there with a rope and just leave him in there all day. And just be there. And you see this, the, the debris, if you know what I mean, would sort of um, harden there on the sides and like concrete, he had to kind of just go in there and, and it was like 130 degrees in there, spraying that stuff all day. And I'm sure he got paid minimum wage, which young people, that was probably about $2.50 at the time. An hour. Uh, that's a horrible job. But isn't it funny that, you know, the Egyptians said the worst job in the world is to be a shepherd. So what does Moses do? This is amazing. This kind of speaks to the parallel. Moses, who was in the palace, decided to not live in the palace, but chose to be a shepherd in the backside of the desert with the people of the Midianites. What an amazing thing. How do I know that? Well, again, the book of Hebrews, check it out. In the hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, By the way, the word the there is in your Bible in italics because um, it was more of a title. He refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was a title of being the prince choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. 
for he endured as seeing him who's invisible. You see, here we see that Moses forsook the palace of Egypt to become a shepherd. What did Jesus do for you and me? He, if you would, God became a man. That's what the Bible says. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. So God became a man. Moses became a shepherd. God became a man. And, and God, when he became a man, he became not only the shepherd, but he also became the sheep as well. How big of a step was it for God to step down from heaven in his glory, in his fullness, to become a man and live among us? How big of a step was that? I don't think we'll ever fully fathom that. Maybe when we get to heaven and we see God in all his glory and we'll say, wow, from God to humanity, that was a massive, massive step down. Um, would it be a bigger step than like, let's say God comes to you after church today. You're feeling really encouraged. Man, we've been worshiping and getting in the word and the Lord on your way home, the Lord says, hey, uh, I, I really, I have a job that I want you to do. He just speaks to your heart and you just say, okay, Lord, yes, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord says, well, here's what I want you to do. I, I need you to become a slug. I'll turn you into a slug. Now you'd be, uh, wait, wait a minute, a slug, Lord? You want me to be a slug? Why would you want that? Well, see, in the, in the woods, back up in, you know, um, the Tillamook Forest over here, there's a bunch of slugs and I love them, but they hate me. They don't listen, they don't know me. They just, you know, slime around and, and I need you to go tell them. So, ping, suddenly you're a slug. And there you are kind of oozing and, and, and you go to the woods there and you go to talk to those slugs. Now that's a big step down, but you have to understand for you as a human to become a slug is not as big of a step as for God to become a man. You have to understand this. So there you are, you go find the slugs in the Tillamook Forest and you say, hey slugs, and they say, we hate you. Crucify that slug. And they start pouring salt on you, and there you are. <laughs> bubbling, and gooing, and ooing, and, and you're in pain. Ah, but the Lord loves you slugs, we don't care. It's more salt, and, and they kill you. Um, you say, Brett, that's a horrible story. I brought my grandma, and you're talking about sewage tanks and slugs, and well, here's the thing, do you understand? Jesus was God in the flesh. God became man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came, and not only was he living among us, but he was despised and rejected, and he was crucified on the cross. Like for us to really fathom, you know, Moses is a great picture, really, of the shepherd who would lead Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land, or at least to the border of the Promised Land. Um, and Jesus is pictured there as well, I think, because Jesus is the shepherd that leads us out of Egypt. He left his throne in heaven, if you would, and he became a man, a huge step down, and led us. Moses is, I think, a good reminder of what Jesus did for us. Now, we've been sort of thinking on and, you know, excited about who our shepherd is, but now I need to kind of bring it full circle and take a look at our verse again. Jeremiah chapter 50 Verse six, would we take a look at that again? In light of everything that we just looked at, I want us to think about what these people are accused of and, and what is it that you and I need to be careful about? It says here in Jeremiah 50, verse six, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have, for, they have forgotten their resting place. 
How sad is it that the people of Jeremiah's day, they had God as their shepherd, but they forsook him. And they went for false shepherds. By the way, Jeremiah would have been called a shepherd of the people because he was a prophet. Just like in the New Testament, did you know that pastors are supposed to be sort of under shepherds? I would never presume to be called the good shepherd or a great shepherd or a chief shepherd because there's only one you can call good, and that is Jesus. But as it turns out, the word pastor, if you look at the Greek word, it means feeder of the flock. So I would say a pastor is supposed to be an under shepherd under Jesus. The problem is there's, there's good ones and bad ones, false ones and true ones. And I believe in the days you and I live, it's becoming more and more difficult. You see, Jeremiah 50 verse six gives us three things that these people did that I think are good for us to think about today. As Jesus is our shepherd, first of all, we look and we see their false shepherds led them astray. Question, are you a critical thinker when it comes to things of God? Man, I hope you are. I hope that you don't just listen to a teaching that I give and go, well, Brett said it, so it must be true. That'd be horrifying to me. I always say this and people don't believe me, but it's true. I don't even believe everything I say. Like I'll teach things and I'll think, mm, man, I don't know. Be careful. Your favorite podcast or your favorite, you know, uh, woman ministry podcast person or, you know, be careful. There's all kinds of shepherds out there. The question are, are they good shepherds or un good under shepherds or are they bad under shepherds? Do you remember what was going on during the time of Jeremiah? Jeremiah was the only prophet telling the truth. All the other prophets were telling lies. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. Things are great. The Babylonians are just a flying fancy. They'll be gone in a few weeks, no big deal. And Jeremiah's like, no, that's not true. They're gonna crush Jerusalem and we're all gonna be killed or taken into captivity. Repent from your sins and follow God. But nobody listened to Jeremiah. Not one, not one person listened to the right guy, but they sure listened to the false shepherds that led them astray. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And I believe today we have to be ever so careful to search the scriptures to see what's being said is true or false. Like the Bereans, Acts 17, 11. Make sure that you're listening to what the Bible says. Um, you know, Paul said, be like the Bereans and search the scriptures daily to see if what that person, that pastor, teacher, prophet, whatever, whatever they're saying, make sure it's coming from the Bible. You and I have the Bible to measure everything that we say. That's why I try my best to pack as much scripture into a teaching as I can. I'll tell you why. Because everything I say that's the Bible is absolutely true. My opinion about the, the NFL and if they're ever gonna be a sheep, uh, that, could, that could come or go, maybe not. Um, but, but as far as what the Bible says, man, watch out for false shepherds. There's plenty of examples today. I can't believe how many churches are being sucked into an anti-biblical worldview when it comes to Black Lives Matter. That's just one example. But Black Lives do matter. Of course they do. What a crazy thing to think that they don't. But the name Black Lives Matter is an organization that's Marxist, anti-God, anti-family, pro, you know, LGBTQ, uh, totally everything that kind of stands against the Bible. The Bible is into the family unit as mother and father and children. Black Lives Matter stands vehemently against that. They used to have it on their website until a while back they removed that from what we believe because it was inflammatory and they were losing money and support. So they took that off. But I believe, as you look at it, Black Lives Matter has less to do with racism and more to do with a political agenda that is quite anti-biblical. 
So am I against racism? Of course, and everybody I know is, is radically against racism, but it's amazing how they've sort of sucked in churches. There's churches on their website promoting white fragility, the book that's pretty much from the pit of hell. Why are churches putting this stuff out there? Like I, I just marvel that many, many people are listening to this and the reason that they're doing this is they're following these false shepherds who are teaching false things. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm sure Jeremiah felt like that too. But beware, that's what this verse does for me, beware of their false shepherds that were leading them astray. Number two lesson, we're almost done. <clears throat> They've gone from mountain to hill. What does that mean in the context of sheep? Well, I've been to the Middle East uh, a lot of times, spent a lot of time there in the West Bank and where these shepherds of this time were. And the mountains were the place where the good stuff was. That's where the good grass was growing. The higher the mountain, the better the grass. You get out of the mountains and go to the hills, suddenly you've got a bunch of dead weeds. And if you go even further, you're in the Negev Desert and you end up with just dust. Um, it's that way today. It was back there in Jeremiah's day as well. And what was happening was they went from the mountains of greatness and these false shepherds were leading the sheep astray and they were once eating plentifully and now they're going from mountain to hill. Less food, less nutrition, less nourishment. I see us making that mistake as well. We're trading good biblical topics for topics that are popular or relevant today. Instead of talking about Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, it's a temptation to talk about how to balance your checkbook, how to you know, win victoriously in your, you know, your occupation or this or that. They're all topics that are nice and good and fluffy and everything, but are they biblical solid theology that we're getting or are we going from mountains, theology, doctrine, to the hills, fluffy stuff that's not even that filling, cotton candy. That's what was happening in those days. The sheep were hungry and they were led astray. That's what Jeremiah says. Finally, lastly, the third thing, and they have forgotten their resting place. They had forgotten what it felt like to have a place at rest. What, what does it require? What does a sheep require to be at rest? As an old shepherd myself, I know what they need. There's two main things sheep need. Number one is food which these sheep were long gone off the mountains, so they were lacking for food. But the second thing a sheep needs to be uh, resting <clears throat> is protection. You know, security, to know that they're safe. <clears throat> That's why sheep need a shepherd, because they need to be protected from the wolves, the lions and the tigers and bears, oh my. And so the shepherds were always there. And, and at nighttime, the shepherd would bring them into the sheepfold, and remember, in Bible times, the sheepfold was like a, a rock wall and then the shepherd would stand in the doorway of that to keep the predators or the thieves or whoever was wanting to mess with the sheep, keep them out. He was, he was the door. Isn't it interesting in the shepherd chapter, John chapter 10, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. I love that. One of the I am statements. I am the good shepherd, but I am also the door of the sheepfold so that the enemy can't get into the sheep. I love that Jesus is our protection and because of his feeding and his protection, guess what? Jesus is where you and I as sheep will find our greatest rest. Do you feel that you need to be restful? Have you forgotten your resting place? Because as far as I see it today, we are a people who are lacking resting. We have forgotten. I think a lot of Christians have forgotten their resting place. They will not find rest with CNN and Fox News 
Wolf Blitzer and Sean Hannity, you will not find rest to your soul there. You will not find rest to your soul at the bar with your bros and hanging out there. That's not where real rest is found. You will not find rest at Cabo San Lucas. Ask, um, who's the congressman? Cruz, yeah, ask Ted Cruz. Is that where he went, Cabo? Bad choice at this time uh, while his state was suffering. Um, but um, yeah, you won't find rest there. Where do you find rest? The true rest, Jesus said it best, you know, there in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come unto me all ye that are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, our shepherd brings us to protection and food, and because of that, he's our resting place. And I wonder if some of you old-timer Christians here today, you've lost your resting place because you don't look at the good shepherd like you once did. Maybe you've gotten to where you're so into politics now that you find your soul just constantly churning and struggling, and, and, and you need to just say, you know, there's a point where I need to kind of bail out of some of that and just go back to my good shepherd, eat of his word, and be protected through the good shepherd who's the door of the sheepfold. And, and as you rest in Christ, did you know that the Bible tells you to work at being restful? It says that, book of Hebrews again, says labor that you enter into his rest. Isn't that a funny thing? It's like an oxymoron, labor to rest. Jumbo, shrimp. Microsoft, works. Sorry, that's not even a thing anymore, is it? Um, you see, it's such a weird thing, labor to rest. If you're gonna work at something, the Bible says work at this, resting in Christ, letting Jesus be the place where you find your rest, not in all the other things people are trying to be rested in. Man, I learned so much just from the single verse, their false shepherds led them astray. They've gone from mountain to hill and they've forgotten their resting place. May the Lord give us ears to hear that we look to and love on and follow after the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I wonder if there might be, just with an attitude of prayer, and those of you that are Christians, just be in prayer right now as your head's bowed, but I wonder if there's a couple of you, like there were at the two services last night, uh, both services, people who just said, you know what, I'm not sure I've ever been in the rest of Christ. I've never been in a place where Jesus is my shepherd. When the psalmist wrote Psalm 23, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? Do you know if the Lord is your shepherd? Because if you're not a Christian, he is not your shepherd. You're still in your sins, the Bible says, like Cain. And your guiltiness is being cried out by the blood of your sin, if you would. But I've got good news for you if you just say, man, I, I, I'm a sinner, and you repent of your sins. Repentance means to acknowledge your sin before God and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have done sinful things and I admit that. And I repent of my sins, change my mind about those sins. Repentance, by the way, doesn't mean that you're perfect. Repentance means that you're perfectly forgiven when you acknowledge your sin to God. And then you say this, because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. I love how easy it is for a person to accept Christ and to become a believer and have your sins forgiven and have the future and the hope of heaven. It's so easy because Jesus did all the work. That's, that's the thing, anyone who will accept the work of Jesus on the cross will be saved by his grace through faith. 
not of your works, lest any man should boast, not of yourselves, it says. So if that's you and you're saying, Brad, I, I don't know if I've ever accepted Christ, but today I wanna follow Jesus and believe and be forgiven of my sins, man, then the blood of Jesus will cry from the ground and say, forgiven, no more condemnation, no more guilt. That burden would be lifted off your shoulders and you're free to go from this place and you don't have to be tangled up in sin anymore. You don't have to go and do those things that are wrong and contrary to God. And even when you do, because we do, we still sin and make mistakes, the Lord is faithful. If you just confess that sin, the Lord is faithful to just forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible teaches. So if that's you, would you acknowledge that between you, me, and the Lord right now? And just say, Brett, I wanna accept Christ today. Would you just lift your hand so I can see you? Uh, I'll just acknowledge you and then we'll finish up the service. Let me look around for a second. If you're online, by the way, I know we have a bunch of you out there. If you're wanting to raise your hand and say, Brett, I wanna be seen, uh, you, can, you can text us. There's a number there. You just text and say, I'm a new believer today. And if you text that, I'll know. We're not gonna you know, track you down or keep your information or do anything like that. Cool. I see you right there. That's awesome. Good. Let me just look around for a minute. Don't let me miss this. If you wanna accept Jesus, man, this is your time. Um, this is your moment. Good. Awesome. Over there. Okay. Cool. Good. Right there. Awesome. Good choice. I've never, ever regretted accepting Jesus. It's the greatest thing, by the God, God's grace, the greatest thing I've ever done is to become a believer in Jesus. I'm gonna pray this prayer of confession and I'm gonna ask the whole church family, would you guys pray this out loud, all of us together with these three or four who are saying yes this morning and, um, and maybe for, with those online, just say this out loud to the Lord and he'll hear this prayer, confession. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, how I pray blessing upon these people who've just confessed you, Lord, people who've just raised their hands. Lord, I know that it seems so simple and such a small thing, but this morning we acknowledge what a huge, magnanimous thing you've done for humanity, dying on the cross for our sins. For these who've accepted you today, Lord, I pray that you just show them your love and your forgiveness. Just somehow, Lord, reveal to them the forgiveness, that the burden of sin is no longer on their shoulders, but they're forgiven and saved by your goodness. And like we prayed, Lord, I pray that you help them to walk with you and, and find a good church to plug into and be um, linked up with other brothers and sisters and taught in the things of scripture. Lord, may they hunger and thirst after righteousness. Just bless them, we pray. And Lord, for the, all the believers in here, as we have taken this time to look at what your scriptures say about shepherd, Lord, I pray that we'd appreciate and be rejoicing today more and more in Jesus' name, amen.